we're going to follow the thing that we've been talking about, singing about here this morning out of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be in a little uh, thought we're going to call blink, okay? Uh, blink, and uh, we'll be there in just a minute, but this is going to follow our theme. So we've been talking about this king who's going to come back for us and uh, kind of living our life in light of that return will be part of what, we will, uh, what we're going to deal with today. So 1 Thessalonians 5, we'll be there temporarily, or we'll be there shortly, hopefully temporarily as well. Um, but we'll, we'll be there in just a minute. So let me just ask you this question. Have you ever had a stare down? You ever had a stare down with somebody? You know, maybe as a parent to a child, you ever do that to your kids? Or your eyes get big and you're just like, you know, ultimately somebody's going to look away. You know, it's feel like, You've been dominated kind of when you look away like, oh man, they've got the best of me. All right. So maybe you've been that before. Um, you know, sometimes with uh, students and things like that, we'll do something called, we'll play a game, just a staring game, and the first one to blink loses. You ever played that? All right. So we've done things like that as well. Well, believe it or not, in Australia, there is an annual competition that's built around stare down. And it's called So You Think You Can Stare. All right, and there's this guy named Fergal Fleming, whose nickname is the Eyesore. Uh, last year, he set the world record for the longest time without blinking, 40 minutes and 59 seconds. Isn't that a long time? He said at the 35-minute mark, it felt like somebody was tattooing his eyes. Like he said, they just hurt so bad. But he's the current world record holder. I mean, if that's uh, the title, your 15 minutes of fame, then... He probably never thought that somebody in Granite City would be talking about him. But nonetheless, here we are, right? So what's the purpose of blink? Well, uh, it got me curious when I started thinking about this stare down, like how often do we blink? Anybody have an idea? How often do we blink per minute? 15? 50? It's a little higher. That's a little high, rather. So they say it's about 15 to 20 times per minute. All right, and maybe 2,000 or up to uh, 1,200 times rather per hour and almost 29,000 times in a day. I said we spend 10% of our waking hours with our eyes closed. But that was kind of interesting. All right, so there's just some information for you. So why do we blink so much? Well, we understand that blinking helps lubricate our eyes, right? It helps protect our eyes, and so when our eyes get dry, we tend to blink or something's in it. We tend to blink, and it's kind of the eye's way of trying to refresh or remove maybe an obstruction or something that's within our eye. Uh, but there is a, a university in Japan that's done a study, and, and what they've concluded is that the blink gives the brain momentary rest. And so every time you blink, it's just kind of like a refreshing kind of pulse sent to your brain. And maybe it's for a split second, or maybe it's for a few seconds, but it's, it's kind of the, the, the brain's way of just staying fresh and updated, right? And so what they said is when we tend to be focused on something intently, if we're studying or if we're watching a ball game or having conversation that's kind of intense or whatever, we don't blink as much because we're focused, we're locked in. And so the more we blink, then it's like the brain's way of saying let's relax and refresh and kind of, kind of let that go. So who knew, right? And that's just something they have kind of theorized. I don't know that they can prove that beyond doubt, but it seems to be something that is, is helpful to the brain is blinking. Well, what does blink have to do with anything today? All right. So there's a couple nuggets you can take with you to think about that are mostly irrelevant. 
But today we want to talk about why it is irrelevant. You know, what's the purpose of blinking? The Bible says that in the blink of an eye will be the return of Christ. All right, so you guys blink with me. Ready? One, two, three. Did you blink? I couldn't see you, so I'm, I'm going to take your word for it, right? So that quickly and quicker than I snap my fingers will be the return of Christ. So it's not going to be this long processional, you know, an hour-long concert, blowing trumpets, playing harps, all sorts of angels and people descending and announcing like you're in, you know, the Chicago Bulls stadium. And now, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he comes descending down. It won't happen that way. It's going to be immediate. In the blink of an eye, Christ will come. So if you're wondering what blink is about, that's, that's what it's about here this morning. So the second coming of Christ, 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to look at some things that connect with this second coming, uh, or as it's called here, the day of the Lord, and uh, we'll try to connect some of that to how we can live it out here today. So 1 Thessalonians 5, we'll find Paul here writing to some Thessalonian believers who needed to be encouraged and reminded that Jesus is coming. And so we've read about it in Scripture today. Uh, we've taught about it in some of our classes today. We've sung about it in song. And now we're going to teach and, and read about it here this morning as well. So verse 1 begins, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, you're not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as our helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. All right, and that chapter will go on to highlight some things that you should do, we should do in light of the return of Christ. And so a few things we'll highlight as we work our way through uh, these 11 verses here this morning as it relates to thinking of the second coming of Christ that will take place in the, in the blink of an eye. And so number one is this. The return of Jesus is a looming reality. And so when you think of the word looming, what do you think of? If something's looming, it means it is... It's close, okay? It's near. You heard that word before, looming? Okay. One word is it's imminent which means it's, it's unstoppable, it's going to happen, irregardless of what we think, believe, say, or do, it's going to come. Uh, it, there's another word like overhanging. Uh, typically we think of looming uh, as something that's like a deadline to meet, right? So maybe, you know, some of you students, you've got finals coming up, and so that's kind of a looming reality, right? You know it's coming, and get prepared or don't get prepared, but the reality is it's going to happen. Or maybe at work you've had a project that uh, you had to turn in and there was a deadline for it. So it's looming. It's kind of hanging over your head like, uh, I, I know that day is coming. Or maybe there's an upcoming surgery, right? Or a doctor's appointment and you're concerned about it. It's just looming there. It's, you know it's going to happen. 
Right? That's what it means. It's, it's a looming reality. And here it's connected to the second coming of Christ. And what I like here is that Paul writes and says some things that we can know. And so let's go back and read this. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. All right? You know how well? You know very well. All right? So Paul here is not writing to try to influence people to believe in the return of Jesus. Okay? This wasn't a group of people that believed in the death, burial, and resurrection and kind of like he went away. These are people who were already convinced through the Spirit. They believed, they knew very well that he was coming back. So to believe in the return of Jesus for them was something they knew to be true. So let me ask you here, let's pause in the text here. What do you know very well? You don't have to answer that to me, but there are probably things in your life that you know very well. Right? Beyond all doubt, there are things that you've experienced and you know this to be true. Somebody else may not believe it. That's on them. I know this very well. You know, if somebody has had the heartache of loss, and probably everybody in this room to a degree has experienced some kind of loss, the death of somebody that was close to us, you could tell someone who had not experienced loss, you could say, I know what that feels like very well. Right? Because you've been through that. You ever struggled to make ends meet? You know, paycheck to paycheck, and it seems like, you know, I can remember thinking, and the next one's not going to cover it. You know what I mean? Like, because you're looking a month ahead or six weeks ahead or two months ahead, and you get here, 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 and it's like, and it's still not going to, it's, it's still not going to happen at that point. Like, you know the struggle sometimes of trying to make ends meet. Some people on this planet don't know what that feels like. Right? They don't have a clue. But you might know it very well, right? It's something that you've lived and experienced. It's personal to you. And you would have no trouble illustrating or helping somebody understand what it is like. If you've had a surgery, I know some of you in this room have had surgeries. They required rehab, right? And so that's a struggle trying to build strength back in your body. If it's a shoulder or a knee or whatever it may be, it took time and effort and sweat and pain, right? It's hard and you didn't want to do it. And so you know very well the rehab process. It's something personal to you. It's something that you own. It's something that you know. And so Paul writes here and he says to these Thessalonians, you know this very well. Right? So he's not trying to convince them, come on guys, just believe that Jesus is coming back. Kind of like Linus and the Great Pumpkin. You remember that movie? Linus is trying to convince his friends to sit out in the pumpkin patch because the Great Pumpkin comes on Halloween night and brings candy and toys to all girls and boys. And he sits out there and he gets what? He gets nothing, right? The great pumpkin never shows up, okay? So he was trying to convince people of something that wasn't true. Paul's not writing here to convince anybody. You know this very well, all right? You know this very well. We're not going to write to you about times and dates because no one can know that. Um, don't spend your time there. Don't concern yourself with those sorts of things. Isn't it interesting that people still do that? I don't get that. You know, I love Jesus, and he loves me because the Bible tells me so, and I think he's going to come on this date. That's dumb. Like the Bible says no man can know. So what are you doing? Like it makes it hard for anybody to trust what you're saying. Are there signs? Absolutely. Right? There are signs. Jesus said here's some things that are going to happen, but you don't know what's going to happen. Matter of fact, it's going to happen like a thief in the night. How does a thief come? Just unexpected, doesn't it? I mean, if we knew when the thief would come, what would we do? 
we'd be ready, all right? I'd invite you guys to my house. You watch that window, you watch that door, all right? We'd make sure we could handle the situation if it escalated, all right? We could take care of business. And we would put all of our valuables away. We would lock them up. We would stay up all night, right? Because the thief is coming. We're ready. But we don't know when the thief comes. He comes unexpected. Um, and we know that very well here, even just in the past few weeks among our own church family. You know, thinking of someone who was robbed in their driveway, beat up, purse stolen, right? Had no clue what was going to happen. That's how the thief comes. He or she is intentional. He or she is prepared, but it's totally a surprise. All right, well, Paul's saying here, even though you don't know when it's going to happen, you're, you know for sure that it is going to happen. And really, there are other authors and writers in the New Testament who say the same thing. So let's look at a few of these. This will be John 14. So this is John. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus speaking, all right, what's he going to do? Okay, so he's going to go, and then he's going to come back, and he's going to take you to be with him so that you may be where he is. Okay, so this is a promise of Jesus before he was betrayed and crucified. I'm going away, and I'm coming back. All right, going away, coming back. Uh, in Acts, here you've got Luke writing, Men of Galilee, they said, these are the two dressed in white men who were there when the disciples were watching Jesus ascend. Okay, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Well, because Jesus is floating away in the sky. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Okay? So just like you've seen him go, he will what? All right, he's going to return. He's going to come back. And so that is John. That's Luke. We've already talked a little bit about Paul. Uh, here's Paul again, verse 51 and 52, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, listen. He's talking about the day of the Lord, the return of Christ. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. What does that mean? It means that some are still going to be alive. There are going to be people walking the planet when Jesus returns. Some will have died, but some it could be today. It will be you and I. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. How quickly? In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, or here in the blink, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Okay? And so here again, you've got the promise of Scripture stating that Jesus is coming back. And then Peter says the same thing. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Okay, so we've got John. We've got Paul. We've got Luke. We've got Peter. Uh, all these guys are outlining the very same thing. This Jesus that went away is what? He's coming back. Okay, so this is a reality. And this is the reality that we've sung about here this morning. What I want to ask you, though, before we proceed is this. Do you believe this? And do you legitimately, in your whole heart, believe that Jesus really is coming back? I say if we believed that, when we would live in light of that. I can know something uh, and yet not believe it. Right? We do that all the time. I know that it's right for me to eat this, but I'm going to eat this. Right? This is good for me. This is junk, but I want the junk, so I'm going to invest in the junk. Why? Because it's what I want. I know better. I just don't believe that this is really what's best for me. So I can know that he's coming, but not live my life in light of that. So here I'm just asking, not only do you know it, but do you believe it? And we sang a song this morning that talked about what we believe, right? We believe that Jesus came. He was crucified. 
uh, that he was resurrected, that he ascended, and that he is coming back again, right? So I hope you saw that here this morning. If you sang with us, then you sang that through maybe six or five or six times there, and he's coming back again. So these are all truths that the Bible revealed. Death is, is a reality. And the same Bible that tells me of death tells me that Jesus is also coming. His looming return, or his return is a looming reality. And it's not an if, it's a when. Right? Not an if, but a when. All right, let's progress here then this morning. Heading to our second point. The return of Jesus is going to hopefully create within those who believe a sense of urgency for completing the mission. And so what Paul writes here, and others we read as well, they said you don't know when he's coming, you don't know exactly how he's coming, but you know that he is coming. So because of this then, let's live in such a way that when that blink of an eye takes place, um, we will be found the way that we want to be found. See, everything at that point will be final. Right? You understand that? Everything at the point of Jesus' return is done. Uh, as far as choosing to receive or to reject him. And so let's go back to the text here and we'll see some people who are living just like people are today. All right, we just, verse 1 was, we don't need to write to you about dates and times. It's not important. Don't concern yourself with, with that. Verse 2 was, you know he's coming. He's going to come like a thief in the night. There's going to be surprise and there's going to be some separation there. And those who believe are going to go one way and those who don't, they're going to face something different. Then verse 3 saying, while people are saying, hey, Peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. All right, now, I've never been a pregnant woman. I don't anticipate uh, having that be my life experience. Not planning on those sorts of things. Doesn't work that way. But I have had some things that have come on me quickly. Have you? And some of you have given birth to children, so you understand that. But I think we can also understand it even if we haven't done that. Have you ever been in pain? So do you remember the moment where you were pain-free and then all of a sudden it was painful? Right? It happens that quickly. And so in a moment of time, everything's good. We're doing everything and we go to lift something It's oh! Right? It just that quick, it happens. And so I'm thinking life is good. Peace and safety, brother. And all of a sudden, my life has changed. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come. And it's going to come specifically here for those who have yet to receive Christ. And so the Bible says these who do not believe live in like a, a darkness. Right? And this is a spiritual darkness. They're blinded to the things that are true. And so they live their life uh, thinking only according to ways of this world. All right? The God of this age has blinded their eyes and they see things His way. They think His way. They vote His way. They want to see this world conducted under His terms. And it makes sense because he would be the God that they're submitting to. But here we're, we're trying to create a sense of urgency as we think about these people. Uh, so they're unaware of what is looming. Right? If you talk to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus and you say to them, Jesus is coming back, what's the response going to be? You think it's going to create terror in them? And without the working of the Spirit, it won't do anything. They'll laugh at you. They'll... You actually believe that? You think a guy's going to come out of the sky? Like, seriously? Yeah. Now, to me, that's, that's one of the crazy things. You, know, you can think about a God being powerful and resurrected from the dead and healing people. 
But you're thinking about clouds splitting. You're thinking about animals and people and this man returning. This just seems a little bit strange or far-fetched or a little bit uh, mythical. right? So they're not going to hear that. They're not going to listen to that, which makes sense, again, because they are of, of the darkness. And so ultimate destruction, Paul writes and says here, is on its way. And what he says about their destruction here, look at the end of that verse again. It's going to come quickly. And for those who are in the darkness, what will happen to them? They will not escape. Right? There's no getting away. There's no changing your mind. There's no last minute decision to be made at that point. Whatever's been made up to that point is final. Have you ever been to a store that was going out of business and they've got these signs everywhere that says all sales are final? That means if you don't like what you get, tough. It's just how it is. It's done. Okay? So when you've, as an unbeliever, made the decision that you're going to reject Jesus and His return happens and you're still living, it's final. And there's no changing of your mind. Right? It's, it's a done deal at that point. Destruction will be something that those who do not believe will never escape. So for you and I, that should create a level of urgency within us to share with those who have yet to believe, to pray with those who have yet to believe, to serve those who have yet to believe, because of their ultimate destruction. And do you have people in your life that you want to see them escape? And if, if the second coming were to happen now, if the blink of an eye were to happen, is there a terror in your soul for people that you're close to? People that you live by or go to school with or work alongside? For those who believe, this should not just only give us uh, some comfort that we're under the blood and forgiven, but it should create a level of urgency in us to try to reach those whose ultimate destruction will not be escaped. You know, when the teacher hands you a test, it's too late to study at that point, right? Although students will try, and they'll keep their book open to the very last second until the test is laid down, then they close their book, right? They're trying to get every last thing in their head that they forgot to study for, right? None of you did that. That was my story. Uh, so it's too late at that point. Is it too late after you've had a car wreck to go to, your, to an insurance company and ask for automobile insurance and expect them to cover that claim? Yeah, they're not going to cover that whatsoever because it's done. When Jesus comes back, it's done. It's done for my loved ones. It's done for my neighbors. Uh, it's done for my family members. And it's done for all those people that you have in your life as well. It's a looming reality, destruction. They will not escape. And so it must create a level of urgency within us to complete our mission. Last week we talked about our mission being disciples who make disciples that continue to do the same thing, making other disciples. And so let me ask you another question. Do you think that people today can still be reached? You know, last week we said, do you think God can use you to reach people? Yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason you're still breathing. Peter wrote and said, listen, the, the reason that God is slow in His coming is because there's still this period of grace and repentance. People are still going to turn to me and trust in me. And so be about my work. Right? That's why we talked about trying to reach out to people who are far from God. Because the day of repenting is still here. And what we've sung about today is a day is coming when all decisions will be final. And so we've got to work. We've got to work to connect others to Jesus, just like we talk about here every week. 
We've got to work to help others grow in Jesus, just like we talk about every, every week. We've got to work to help people serve others so that in turn they're making disciples as well and that this process continues to happen. You know, some people think of Granite City as a dark place. And when you talk to some people that, that have lived here for a while, they might say, well, it's not like it used to be. Madison, not like what it used to be. And now there's terror, and now there's fear, and now there's, this, there's drugs, and there's things going on that just aren't like healthy for a community. And sometimes what we want to do is just like, I got to get out, you know, before this whole thing implodes. What we're being reminded of today is the light has got to go to the darkness. Right? And for the darkness to have any hope, it's going to come through plan A, and plan A is you. Plan A is me. And so I hope as you think about the second coming of Christ, yeah, let it stir your heart and let it sing with joy and think about what it's going to be like. But let it also stir us to think about those that we want to be there with us or for anyone for that matter. To be urgent in talking with them, serving them, loving them, sacrificing towards them so that they might know the hope that we live in today. So it's a looming reality. It should create an urgency within us. And here are the third point last. It's going to encourage those who believe to live a specific way. Right? It challenges you and I in our intentionality. It challenges you and I in our levels of commitment. What I will do and what I won't do. If Jesus is coming back, that means there are some things that matter and some things that are not as important. And so what matters most should get my highest priority or my greatest resources or commitment or time or investment compared to those things that just don't matter near as much. So it's going to encourage us to live in light of His return, and that is, let this be in the forefront of your mind. How long has it been since you've really sat and kind of dwelled on Jesus' coming? How long has it been since you've thought about a trumpet sounding and in the blink of an eye, the sky splitting and Jesus returning just as He ascended, He will descend how long has it been since we've thought about these realities? You know what I'm saying? If this is reality, it moves me from knowing that it's true to believing it's true. If I believe it's true, it influences the way that I live and think and give and serve everything. And as we move this to the forefront of our minds, we're going to get clarity about the things that matter and the things that don't. And then we commit and devote our heart to these sorts of things as well. So let's read this from the text. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul writes and says, But since we belong to the day, that is, the light is in us, we've been saved, then let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. All right here, the word sober is watchful. Okay, so the, there's a contrast here. So it's not literally talking about don't drink alcohol. And it's not literally saying those who are the darkness are drunk. There are people who don't believe in Jesus who don't touch alcohol. All right? And so the word here is just thinking there are people who are watching, who are living in light of Jesus. And there are people who are living in darkness, who are living in ways that are worldly, that would be something symbolized in that word drunkenness. Now you'll hear people this time of year in the spring, especially in this area, keep an eye to the sky. Right? What's the point of that? 
Because there's a storm coming in and there may be lightning with that storm and have uh, your ears open and count how long there is between the lightning and the thunder so you know how close this storm is and pay attention to the wind. Right? Keep an eye to the sky. Well, For the Christian, that, that could be our mantra. That could be our motto. Right? As we live here, keep an eye to the sky knowing that at any moment, Jesus can return. Now, I remember my grandpa Malone saying he wanted to be buried facing east because the Bible says Jesus is coming from the east and he doesn't want to be facing the west. He wants to see him as soon as he possibly can. What's that say to me? He's got an eye to the sky. He lived his life in light of the promise of the return of Jesus and it influenced how he invested his life and influenced and encouraged his hope, strengthened his faith, gave him this compelling in his spirit to go and love people. And so as you and I live sober, the idea here is we're going to put on this faith. Faith that gives us strength to endure. Faith that's built not in what we see, but in what we know to be true, in the deposit that's in us. His spirit has convinced us of these things, and we know them very well. Remember when the psalmist David wrote about knowing the Lord and how he had been fashioned? He was the work of the hands of God. Your handiwork. I've been made and crafted in the image of God. And he says, my soul knows that how? Very well. My soul knows very well that I've been made in the image of God. My soul knows very well God and His return because of His Spirit within me. And so faith causes us to look at things that we cannot see and it grants us confidence and strength to endure as we seek to follow and believe in Jesus here. Let love also be part of this breastplate. That is, let it be your protection. Let it be what you use to serve other people. Let it be what drives you or compels you to do what you do. And I'll tell you, I, I was beat up this past week with a chapter of a book. And I ask you, why are you making disciples? What's driving that? And it all came back to that four-letter word, love. Is that really what drives what you're doing? Is that really what compels you to wake up? Or is it, I'm a Christian, it's what I'm supposed to do. Or it's a pastor, as a pastor, it's what I'm supposed to equip people to go do. Or is it, this is all I want to do. The greatest desire of my life is to go fulfill this. And love is a difficult four-letter word. And here Paul says, but let it be the breastplate. Let it be what protects you. Let it be what you utilize to serve and help other people and then let hope this anchor for your soul let it be the confidence and assurance of what is yet to come that grants you just that spirit like Paul said you know I, I'm there's one thing that I'm going to do and that one thing I'm going to press towards and everything else doesn't matter that's what allowed him at the end of his days to say you know what I've done it right I've fought hard I've finished I've kept this faith and now this is what awaits me Right? He was pressing hard towards doing the one thing that God had laid out for him to do. His hope was confident. His hope was assurance. Uh, you know, last night here, we're sitting at home, and this morning it's like, I hope we don't have water in our basement. This is not the hope that I have of heaven. Right? It's not, I hope that I'm welcomed in, or I hope that he lets me be his child. The hope that's in the believer is, Man, it's just sealed. It's confident. It's assurance. You trust. You know that you belong to the Father. You're part of the family. And the day of the Lord 
even if we're here, will be different for those who believe than for those who do not. So we're to live in light of this looming reality. We're to let it influence an urgency within us maybe that we currently don't have. And we're to be encouraged than to go forward and live in light of what we know to be true. And so here again, it comes back to needing people, right? I need you in my life to remind me, Corey, Christ is coming back one of these days. And we said he's going to come in the blink of an eye. Lots of things happen in the blink of an eye. And the Bible talks about some things happening quickly. It says life is like a breath. You know, inhale, exhale, and that could be your years. I remember talking with uh, Miss Louise, and we've shared this before, 97 years old, and she can remember being a five-year-old in her mom's store just kind of skipping around like she was there. That was 92 years prior. Anybody feel like time flies? It does, doesn't it? I mean, the Bible says it's like a breath or a hand breath. It's like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's like a season. It's like a flower that grows up and it withers and it's gone. I think we could also say life is like a blink. I mean, we've said that before. Or we'll say, turn around and things change so quickly. I was looking at a poster board at a, a, well, a couple funerals this week. And you see people when they were like this big or this big, I guess. And then they got to be, you know, this big. They'd lived a long time. And you watch them holding children. And it's like, that could be me. I mean, it's just, it's just that quick. I remember Brother Harlan Keel Sr. when he was laying in the hospital bed and praying with him that, that sunk in on me that day and I've never forgot it. The only difference between me and you is time. And time has a way of getting here really quickly. Sometimes it happens in the blink of an eye. So regardless of your age, regardless of your life experience, education, class, comfort level, if you're still breathing, it means you still have a role to fulfill. And so what does that role look like for you today? I mean, the return of Christ is just as sure as your last heartbeat. And we know that you had a last heartbeat. Why? Because you know you had a last heartbeat, right? You're still sitting here as I'm still standing here. And so we know that it's going to happen. We know that it's absolutely true. And so the goal then is to live in, in light of his return. What I wonder is what's one step you can take What's one step I can take from today to, to live as though this is something we believe in? Not just know to be true and can pass it on as information, but because this is true, I will then do what? Or maybe you'll ask God to do something there. You know, if you've never believed in Jesus as your Savior, that's the first step. Right, that's where this all begins. That moves you from darkness to light. That gets you from the side of ultimate destruction that you cannot escape to eternal blessing that is yours irregardless of what you've done in your past. And that happens solely through faith in Jesus Christ. So maybe for you today, you'd like to start there. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe just like the Bible teaches that my sin separates me from you. But I also believe what I've heard here today that I can be restored. I can move from darkness to light through faith in you. And I'd like to do that. And so I repent of my sins. I believe you're the Son of God who died and was resurrected. And I ask you to save me. Listen, you pray it your way. But Jesus can and will save you here this morning. I would say if you haven't done that, that's your first next step. And let's go ahead and do that today.
Right? Why put that off? Maybe you've heard all this and maybe you've known it to be true for many years, but you've never been on this side where you say, and I believe that. I set my eyes that direction. I set my soul that direction. I'm casting all that I am on Him, receiving Him as my Savior this morning. I'd love to pray with you if that's something that you feel God drawing you to today. But if you'd say, no, I am a believer, what I wonder then is how would God find you? How would God find me this morning? I don't mean like, well, I've got find my iPhone on my phone so he could track me through GPS and know my location. I mean, would he find us living our life in light of his return? Would you be found today the way that you want to be found? Or would you think, man, I hope he doesn't come today because this last week has been pretty shoddy. It's been pretty rough. It's been pretty unintentional. It's pretty self-absorbed. Now, how do you want to be found when he returns? The call then is to live in light of that return.